Psalm 63, verse 8. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. The King James Version says, My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. Another version says, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. New Living Translation says, I cling to you. Your strong hand holds me securely. I want to talk to you about pursuing the Lord Jesus and following him hard. You know, our vision as a church and our mission as a church is to make disciples of the Lord Jesus. We are a Christ-centered, purpose-driven church. That's who we are. We are committed to centering everything we seek to be and do around the revelation of Jesus Christ of Nazareth as revealed in the Bible. And we are committed to revealing him and his ways. And if we are going to fulfill our mission and our vision, which is to make disciples in every single nation of the world, yeah, every nation, if we're going to fulfill it, then we really have to know the Lord Jesus. We have to be men and women that have a real dynamic relationship with the Son of God. And so I want to encourage us on this 22nd anniversary to be a community of people following hard after the Lord Jesus. Like the psalmist says, my soul follows close behind you. And because of that, your right hand or your power is what sustains me. It's what I gain strength from. The more you and I are committed to knowing Jesus and the more we pursue him, the stronger we become. Like he says in Daniel eleven thirty two, the people who do know their God, they shall be strong and do exploits. The more you know God, the stronger you become because his strength is imparted into your being and you express his right hand. And I want to encourage you to be a man and a woman that is following hard after the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to learn some lessons from two women since it's Mother's Day who really pursued the Lord Jesus. They pursued the Lord Jesus. And through their pursuit, they gained a place that forever, in the word of God, they have been established. The first is, I want us to learn a lesson from a nameless, sinful woman. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7. And uh, you need to help me with the time because um, we want to do some ministry as well. You've kind of all eating into my time. You know, the worshipers and the coordinators. And don't blame the Holy Ghost, Eva. <laughs> so help me to try and finish on time, please. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. It's a bit of a long read. He says, then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster 
flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins. Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This narrative took place at the beginning of our Lord's ministry. Now you will discover the next one we look at, which is Mary of Bethany. It takes place just before he is crucified, just before his passion. And, um, you know, there's a lot of debate. You know, some scholars would say it's the same person, but it's not when you look at it carefully. It's two, was three really, probably two or three different people who anointed Jesus' feet. But in this particular situation, on this particular context, we discover that this woman is nameless and is referred to as a sinful woman. She had a reputation. She was notorious. She was a loose woman. Actually, she was a prostitute. She was a prostitute. It's not that she used to be a prostitute. She was a prostitute. She was known as a loose woman. But this woman had a hunger in her heart. Maybe she became that way because of circumstance. You know, we don't know how people end up how they are when we meet them. And nobody knows your story, why you do the things that you do, or why I do the things that I do. This woman was a sinner. And she hears about the Lord Jesus and purposes in herself to do this act. I want us to go through 10 lessons from her life about pursuing the Lord, and maybe it inspires you to continue to pursue him. The first thing is this. She was a known sinner with an expensive gift. Now, this gift, by the way, was probably the monies represented 
all the savings she had as a result of her lifestyle. So even the gift was questionable. But that's all she had. And so the first point I want you to notice is this. If you want to pursue the Lord, start from where you are. You may have completely messed up. You may right now be in a mess. But start from where you are. And offer him what you've got. Because that's what this woman had. Now, it was an expensive gift. It was a year's wages, so to speak, that was in that offering. And what that tells us is this. If you want to pursue the Lord, you have to be willing to give him of your best. Of your best. Now, your best might be polluted, and it is polluted, but he wants what is most valuable to you. Now, another thing about this woman and her gift is this. It was a big risk what she was doing. One, she was a prostitute, so obviously she wasn't married. And in that culture, there was no welfare. (laughs) So once you are poor, you are really poor. There's no one to help you. There was no food bank. There was nothing like that. But this woman was willing to waste all of it on the Lord Jesus. Beloved, if you you and I want to be men and women that are following hard after the Lord, we have to be willing to waste our life for the Lord. Yeah, we have to be willing to waste our life for him. You know, in Jeremiah 29, 13, he says, You shall seek me and find me when you search for me, With all your heart. I am believing that in Christian Life Fellowship, there will be a community of people all over the world that are pursuing God with their whole heart. That are pursuing God not because of what they can get, but because of who our Lord Jesus is. Secondly, she humbled herself at the feet of Jesus. Verse 38. Verse 38 tells us that she came at his feet stood at his feet, weeping behind him and washed his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. These are very powerful symbols about how we pursue the Lord. You see, I want you to think about it. How you can wash somebody's feet with your tears. That's a lot of crying. Now, one of the things that you need to recognize is that this woman, she knew what she was. She knew how she had been. And she was broken about her lifestyle. Beloved, we need to recapture true brokenness about the things that we do wrong before the Lord. There's too much of this You know, it doesn't matter because God loves me. Attitude. Yeah, God does love us. And God receives us with love unconditionally. But we need to learn to be cut up over small things that are bad in our life. You know, if you have sex with somebody you're not married to, you should be cut up about it. Can you say amen? 
Why are you laughing? It's not funny. Now, if you slap somebody because they insulted you, you should be cut up about it. If you insult somebody or humiliate somebody, you shouldn't say it doesn't matter. You should be cut up about it. We have to learn to be quick to repent. We have to learn. True godly sorrow. Paul said to the Corinthians, what carefulness, what carefulness it brought in you. What zeal, what vehement desire. You sought to make sure that in everything you were doing the right thing. This woman was washing the feet of our Lord with her tears. Her tears represented her broken sacrifice. Her hair represented her surrendered glory. Her kisses represented her adoration of the Lord. Her anointing of his feet represented her yielded service. Because your feet speaks of where you go. It speaks of the direction of your life. And she was saying to the Lord, in these acts of humility, that, you know what? My life is messed up, but I'm all yours. I am all yours. The third point is this. Her worship brought the disapproval of the religious. Simon the Pharisee said, "Mm -mm. this man, if he was a, a real man of God, a real prophet, he would know who's touching him. I mean, I don't like my feet being touched by anyone except one. That's my wife. One, I'm very ticklish. But secondly, sometimes when people touch your feet, it can invoke things that you don't really want invoked. So the Lord, by identifying with what she was doing, was in a way putting himself at risk to scandal. Now, let's be clear, there were no sexual overtones in what the woman was doing, but the point is, by him allowing the woman to touch his feet, he, Simon was a Pharisee, he was a good man, he wasn't like all the other Pharisees, he wasn't like a, a wicked Pharisee, you know, the Pharisees, they were great, they were very godly Pharisees like Nicodemus and Simon, this guy here, and there were others who were quite wicked. He wasn't one of the bad ones, he was a good man, he respected Jesus, he invited him to his house. He wasn't to challenge him because he respected him. But at the same time, he wasn't sure about Jesus. He wasn't sure. So, you know, you know, I'm, come to my house, eat some food, but let's not get it twisted. I'm still sussing you out. Sometimes you visit people's house and they're sussing you out. I said, Pastor, I don't know if you eat a lot. So they'll bring food. Pastor, here's the food. And as you're eating it, they're watching you. And when you go, say, hey, that man can trouble. You see him, no wonder his belly is like that. Ah. Or if you don't eat it, ah, you see, he thinks we are witches. <laughs> anyway, verse 39. She said, if this man was a prophet, he would know the kind of woman this woman is. And the point there is this. 
Those who seek to be wholehearted for the Lord will never meet the approval of those who seek to be approved by men. If you want to be wholehearted, there are things you will stand for that will cause others to think you're just a bit loose. I mean, you, you, you're supposed to be a bishop. Look, in, look even at the way you dress. Where's your cross? You, you, you're supposed to have been in the ministry for all these years. And you, look at your house. Look at your car. Where is the success? <laughs> you know, in Luke chapter 16, verses 14 and 15, after the Lord taught about finance <laughs> and how you're supposed to use your money, the scripture says, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also had all these things and they derided him. In other words, they, they were like, what rubbish is this? Use money in such a way that when money fails, you have eternal life. You're joking. Enjoy your money now. Because that's what Jesus was saying. Use money, if you look at Luke 16, in such a way that when money no longer can help you, it puts you in a good position with God. You know, and the Pharisees just laughed. It's like Christians today. Listen, Pastor Joe, we like Pastor John, we like your church, but you see, we need some pros- prosperity. You know, it's too much holiness, holiness, holiness. That say of the Lord, that say of the Lord, that all the time. I, I need seven steps to be very rich. Because you know, poor people can't help your church to buy you a building. Are you still there? In verse 15, the Lord said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. What is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So whatever men or the system of this world approves of, the chances are God hates it. And whatever God approves of, the chances are the system of this world hates it. Beloved, if you want to be wholehearted for the Lord Jesus, you are going to meet the disapproval of even some of your fellow Christians. Certainly, you cannot expect the world to understand your devotion. So let me explain that. Now, I'm not talking about being foolish. I'm talking about being radical for the Lord. So let me explain it like this. The Lord's teachings. I mentioned this yesterday in the Workers' Summit. So the Lord's teaching. Somebody takes your coat. This is what the church will say. Take them to court. This is what Jesus says. Give them your cloak. Your, your cloak. They take your coat, give them your cloak. You can't say amen, you know. Jesus says, they slap you one. You say, give them the other one. Somebody said, the man of God said, I will not even allow you to slap me the first time. <laughs> the Roman officers in those days used to really take advantage of the law because the Roman law said if a Roman soldier asks you to carry his, 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 um, his load, you had to carry it for one mile. That was the law. 
So Jesus comes along, and the Romans were enemies. They were the occupiers of the land. Occupiers. Today, there are occupiers. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. Because there's a referendum coming. Let's move on. <clears throat> so, the Lord says, if someone, because he was referring to this very thing. If someone says to you, go, go with them one mile, um, go with them too. In other words, what he was saying is, your enemies who seek to abuse you, who seeks to take advantage of you, says, carry my load for one whole mile. The Lord says, after you've done the mile, now you say, now because I am a child of Jesus, I am an ardent, wholehearted follower of Christ, let's go another mile. You know, in Corinthians, Paul said to the Corinthian church, I hear that some of you are taking each other to court. He said, what a disgrace to the whole church. So there's no one among you who could even judge when you guys have issues. But brothers take brothers to court and before unbelievers. And then he said something. He said, this is so disgraceful. How come you are not even allowing yourselves to be taken advantage of? You, as a Christian, you are supposed to be happy that people take advantage of you. So that you can represent your master. I told you, what is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Are you struggling? Is this abominable to your system? What I'm saying? (laughs) The, The ways of the kingdom of God are so opposed to the ways of this world. Beloved, if we're not careful, we will allow the world to shape our worldview instead of allowing the Sermon of the Mount to shape our worldview. That is, the, the tenets of the kingdom of God outlined in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's the Sermon on the Mount. So, fourth point. Her devotion resulted in the word of the Lord to the Pharisee. You know, anyone who seeks to be an ardent follower of the Lord will, will allow their life to provoke God to speak to others. Because when Simon saw what was happening, he made the judgment. And then the Lord spoke to Simon a word that he needed to hear. The fifth point, her devotion allows us to see our need for forgiveness. So in verse 41, you notice what the Lord says to Simon. He gives him a parable of two people who owed. One 500 denarii, one 50. Now, remember... 300 denarii was a year's wages. So 500 denarii was almost two years' wages. And two people owed a debtor different amounts. One 500, one 50. And both of them could not pay, and so he forgave them. Now, the point there is this, is that this woman's devotion and her commitment to pursue Jesus meant that we could learn or see our need for forgiveness. And here's the point. Everybody has equal distance to be forgiven. However, the way in which you respond to God's love is determined by how you appreciate how you've been forgiven. And the way by which you forgive others is reflected by your revelation of how you've been forgiven. 
Because the highest level of expression of love is in forgiveness. And until you see your need to be forgiven, not just when you got born again, but on a daily basis, you will not be provoked to pursue the Lord the way you need to. The more you understand how much of God's mercy you need, the easier it is to handle people who mess up. I know that except for the grace of God, I will be roasting right now in the fires of hell. And that even in the house of God, amongst the people of God, I am the last person who should be standing here speaking to you. But by his grace, he took the least amongst the members of this church because of his mercies. Because of his mercies. Paul said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. How be it? Me, the chief of sinners, God decided to use as a pattern for the rest about his mercies. Beloved, you need to know your need to be forgiven. Mecca was saying to us earlier on about the fact that God rescued us from the fires of hell. This church exists because of the Great Commission to ensure that people have an opportunity to meet the Lord Jesus, not only save them from the fires of hell, but fulfill the purposes of God for their life. That's why we're here, to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, not of CLF, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sixth point, she followed after the Lord because she recognized her need for forgiveness. So we must recognize our need, but this woman not only saw that she was a sinner, but pursued Jesus because she knew she was a sinner. And here's my point I want to emphasize. The more you realize your need to be forgiven on a daily basis, the easier it is to run to the Lord. I get amazed at how easy I can mess up. I'm not talking about some porn thing or immorality. I'm not talking like that. I'm talking about Little things, well, they're not little actually. Things like how I can disrespect people. I can say something to people in a way that is just bad and not even care. I know you find that hard to believe when you look at such a holy man as I. But I find it, I find it amazing at how easy it is for me to diss people. I find it amazing. I can be waiting on the Lord, enjoying his presence, really flowing in, in his mercies, and then the next minute, just lose my rag because Daniel ate maybe some of my meat <laughs> or Carice walked in when they're supposed to walk in. What are you coming here for? What are you coming here for? Come on, come on, come on. I'm praying, can't you say I'm praying? And then after the Holy Ghost said, well, go on and pray then. So until now you have to go and call them and tell them exactly what you've done wrong. Otherwise, our fellowship has ended. So I've now, uh, uh, Daniel, Daniel, come, 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 Daniel. And he's thinking, oh, what kind of dad? Just a normal dad, you know, seriously. Okay, Carice, Carice, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And bless them. Nine times out of ten, they will forgive me immediately. 
Maybe seven times, maybe five times out of ten. Maybe, I'm not sure. <clears throat> but on a serious note, the more you realize your need to be forgiven, the more you be, it's easier to forgive others who mess up. Because on the road to pursuing the Lord, you have a lot of opportunity to be offended. Yeah. Seven point. Her devotion was an expression of her love for Jesus. You see, the way in which she expressed her love by giving of her best, by humbling herself, by being willing to be rejected by everyone was an expression of her love. Because our Lord says in verses 44 to 47, he says that the one in the whole parable, he ends up saying in verse 47, therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. She loved much. Her, her pursuit was an expression of her love for the Lord Jesus. Number eight. Her pursuit of Jesus resulted in her receiving his forgiveness and a brand new start. This is so important for you and I that we learn to experience a brand new start over and over. But with the Lord, each time you start afresh, whatever you've gained, he adds it. And whatever you lost or was damaging you, he takes it away. So each time you start afresh, you're not starting like from, you know, with us. You're going to start again. So go all the way at the beginning. and then, No, that's not how the Lord starts us again. If you were walking this way, and then when you reach point four, you turned and went. When he starts you again, he brings you back to where you deviated from. It doesn't go all the way back to the beginning. It's where you deviated from. And from there, he gives you a brand new start. That's called mercy and grace. That's why it's so important to pursue reality with God. To be able to see, I have messed up. I have sinned. You know what? What I said, what I did was actually really bad. Because when you do that, you give yourself an opportunity to have all of that wiped clean so that you can move forward. But if you don't, and you insist on maintaining that, you know, no, mm -mm 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 -mm, I've done nothing wrong. He said, fine. Well, since you've done nothing wrong, that stain remains. Look what he says in 1 John 1 verses 8 to 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Now that word cleanse is continuously cleanse us. Continuously cleanse us. If we confess our sins. So you have to agree with him that this act is sinful. Not it's my weakness. We like to hide behind these words. It's not that it's sinful. It's just a weakness. No, it's a sin. Oh, Pastor Joe, it's not a sin. You know, the way, you know, the way, you know, the way I, I, I like that kind of um, beverage, it's not a sin. After all, even Pastor Philip, he drinks, he drinks. Pastor Philip drinks, I know. Uh, he not drinks, I know. I think even Mecca drinks, I know. So if I also drink, you should know. I'm sure you're, you drink does your wife drink? <laughs> Be careful, Joe. <laughs> Even your wife drinks, I'm sure. Now, all these people I mentioned, they probably do drink. 
<laughs> oh boy, we are in trouble. It's Mother's Day, Mother's Day, Mother's Day. Wherever you are, sweetheart, remember your servant. But for you, it's a sin. Period. So don't try and, like, like for instance with me, I like to, I don't know if I should say this. Here it goes. I like to mix shand, uh, what's the thing? Um, lemonade with, uh, with lager. <laughs> but my problem is this. No joke. Even if I drank this much, as I talked about this, And then, I just, I'm knocked out. So, like, I'm like, I know the eyes are a bit heavy already. And they, like, they come mega heavy. So, you know, now I need. And it's, it's this much. So, I know. Me, I can't drink. Not because I'm such a holy man. I don't drink. No, because I can't. I actually can't. Because I've tried. Yes, I've tried. I've tasted alcohol. I've tried. And when I take a little, I remember once, many Christmases ago, I said, no, this time I'm going to have some baby sham. I'm, go- I'm going, I'm, I'm really being wild now. I'm, I'm taking a risk. I'm having baby sham. No, I'm a man of God. I, I should be able to handle no power, no weapon from the gate shall prosper. So I had some baby sham at my mother-in-law's house. We drank a bit, you know, I said, but I will go careful, you know, half a glass, half a glass. So I was driving home. I saw red and I drove through red. I said, what am I going to drive through red? Okay, no, 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 stop. Driving again. Saw red. Stop. Go. I said, hey. I realized. That was the last time I drank half a glass of baby sham. <laughs> Some of you, I think that's what you used to brush your teeth. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking? <laughs> baby sham. Is that even alcohol? That's like. <laughs> yeah. So I know I can't. Don't call the thing a weakness. Call it a sin. Like some of us, there are certain programs we just can't watch. I know Pastor John has an issue with EastEnders because anytime he wants to deal with discipline, it's EastEnders. So I don't know, Vivian, I don't know if there's a problem with EastEnders. I don't know whether there is, because I don't know what the plots are these days. Last time I saw EastEnders, it did look a bit like Blackenders. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So, so maybe for the dumb press, EastEnders is a sin. <laughs> but you know, for all of us, there are things that the Holy Spirit wants to put his hand on, his finger on. So for one person, what is bad for one person? In, I'm not talking about what is clear in the word. So let's be clear. When I say for one person, what is bad for one person is good for another. I am not talking about, you know, for me, fornication is not bad. For me, whenever I sleep with my girlfriend or girlfriends, afterwards we go to church together. So, you know, it's not bad for us. 
No, now, now, whether you feel bad or not, it's actually sinful because the Bible is clear. But there are many, many things that the Bible doesn't say anything about. And for you, it is a sin. So, what I'm trying to show you is this. If you want to experience the love of God and his forgiveness on a daily basis, you have to learn to address issues that are sinful in your life. If you want to be an ardent pursuer of the Lord. Number eight, her pers- sorry, that's number eight. Number nine, her devotion triggered others to question the integrity of Jesus. It's a very interesting one. So, when Simon, in verse 49, saw what was happening, look at what he said. In fact, him and the rest, when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, look at what they said. Who is this who forgives sins? Who is this who forgives sins? You see, many times as you pursue the Lord, there will be issues that your life will speak of that will even cause people who are not devoted to the Lord to question God's integrity. I really hope I have time to touch on this. I have about 10 minutes left here, right? But those committed to pursuing Jesus will in some way or another provoke controversy about the authenticity of their faith and the credibility of the claims of our Lord Jesus. Because as you pursue the Lord, you will have to make a stand about things that are right and wrong. And you will be questioned. What is your view about marriage? What is your view about same-sex marriage? What is your view about um, other religions? You'll be asked the question, can a Muslim go to heaven? Can a Hindu go to heaven? Can a Buddhist go to heaven? In fact, can can people who've never heard the gospel go to heaven? Can anybody, you know, because God is a God of love. So are you seriously telling me that unless a person believes what you believe, that is, that except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Are you telling me that what you believe is the only way? What are you going to say? It's not my place to judge. God loves everybody. I don't know who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. There's a word, cop out. Compromise. You have to be willing to look an idiot and tell them the truth. And that is, except a man is born again. He cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So I like to start from this point. Not only are all those people not going to heaven that you just mentioned, but even you talking to me right now, you, you are going to hell unless you repent. Never mind them, because definitely, if they are what you're saying, they're not going to heaven. If the Muslim is not born again, he's not going to heaven. If the Buddhist, all of them, same sex, Triple sex, two sex, they're all burning. Yeah, you have to tell them. And you yourself, you, you talking to me. I am sure you're not going to heaven. Say, so how can you say you're sure? Yeah, just by the way you are talking, you are not going. Not right now. 
But you see, talking like that, hey! I'm a bigot. Yes, you are. You are a bigot. We need to accept it. Some of us are actually, as far as the world's definition of bigot, we are bigots. You have to accept it. Because you are narrow in your view. That's it. That's what a bigot is, isn't it? Someone who has a narrow view. You have to be willing to recognize you're a bigot. For Jesus, I'm a bigot. True. He said, you're a homophobe. Define it for me. If I tell you that I believe homosexuality is a sin and it makes me a homophobe, then I'm a homophobe. I'm not going to be afraid. Then you can't rent this hall anymore. Okay. Sell church. Here we go. Well, we're going to compromise on what we believe. When you make a stand for the... Look at how nervous some of you are. Hurry up. Move from this point, Joe. Move from this point. (laughs) Come on. We don't want any newspapers. You know, move from this point. Why don't they go to the Muslims and try it? They always pick on the Christians. And the Christians are always trying to... Go to a mosque and put, ask the imam these questions. Ask the members of that mosque. See what they'll tell you. Christians. We have to have some, you know, we have to have some um, (laughs) strength. We are not afraid. And even if we are afraid, we are happy to be afraid for Jesus. But we are not bowing, period. Quickly, number, what number? (laughs) Hurry up. Her pursuit of Jesus was an expression of her faith. You want to see your level of faith? How do you pursue the Lord? Because the Lord said this, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. You want to know your level of faith? Look at how you pursue the Lord. Quickly, I want to conclude with another Mary. I'm sorry, with Mary, rather, another woman. And that is lessons from Mary of Bethany. Three things about this. I want to, I want to um, highlight three key things about Mary of Bethany. The first thing is that she sat at the feet of Jesus. Luke chapter 10, 38 to 42. She sat at the feet of Jesus. The second thing about this woman, and I'll touch on these points quickly, is that she fell at the feet of Jesus. First she sat at the feet of Jesus, then she fell at the feet of Jesus. John 11, verses 20, 28 to 29, 32 and 33. And then the third thing is she anointed the feet of Jesus. She anointed the feet of Jesus. John 12, 1 to 8. So let's just look briefly at each point. She sat at the feet of Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, 38 to 42, the scripture says, Now it happened as they went, he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at his feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. 
Now, I really like Martha. I, I mean, I like Martha. I like Martha's character. Without Martha, we won't have a church. Yeah. And there's many brilliant qualities about Martha that many people fail to see because they get so enamored with Mary. Mary is, you know, I mean, when the Lord commends anyone, you have to say, hey, she's great. But Mary had some serious issues as well. As if I have time, I'll show you. Here's the point about Martha. Number one, she welcomed the Lord into her house. She welcomed the Lord. However, Mary sat at his feet. So Martha speaks to us of receiving Jesus and being willing to serve him. Receiving him and being willing to serve him. She welcomed him and then she was preparing a meal for him. Whilst Mary speaks to us, those speaks of us or speak to us of those who prioritize time with him and learn to and learn to lean on him and learn from his feet in submission to him. So Martha represents welcoming the Lord and serving him. The Lord is in my life and I'm committed to serving him. And Mary represents those of us who seek, not only have welcomed him, but we are also committed to prioritizing learning at his feet. Good. Second thing I want you to know is about Martha, because we're talking about pursuing the Lord hard, is that Martha was distracted by legitimate service. And she speaks to us of our need to be intentional about pursuing the Lord. Because in serving the Lord, there are many legitimate things. Pastor John was touching on it yesterday, about how we as men of God, we need to prioritize waiting on the Lord and ministering his word. It's so important. Otherwise, we will not see the level of the supernatural we need to see. As a pastor, really, if we're honest, Phil, Knox, Max, we need to be spending, especially those of us who are full-time, an average of six to eight hours a day in prayer. Now, if we're going to do that, it means there's a lot of counseling that won't be happening. Look at the way you're looking at me. But that's the reality. For the apostles to have the supernatural breakout, they had to prioritize that. Now, trust me, it is hard work spending six to eight hours a day in prayer. Uh, are, you, are you finding it easy now? Charlie, it's hard though. After an hour and a half, he said, I'm done now. Shabba, yabba, yabba. I've spoken in tongues. But you need to. So you have to be intentional about pursuing the Lord. Now, pursuing Jesus in single-minded devotion is a discovery few people make. Because the Lord said this, Mary has chosen that better part. Or she has discovered, one version says, she has discovered that better part which will not be taken from it. See, until you discover the gift that is in devoting yourself to learning from his feet, you will never pursue it. But once you discover it, the Lord says it will not be taken away from you. I pray you discover it in Jesus' name. The second thing is that Mary fell at his feet. Five more minutes and we're done. Mary fell at his feet. Now the falling at Jesus' feet speaks of how we pursue him 
during our moment of crisis. Because at this time, Lazarus had died. And when you read the narrative, what happened was Lazarus had died. They sent a word, your friend is sick. So come and heal him. But Jesus deliberately delayed. Say deliberately delayed. God knows what he's doing. I don't know why things happen the way they do. I don't know why certain bad things happen. But the other day, I posted a Facebook that I hope some of you saw. It was a question somebody asked. Why does God allow bad things to happen if he's a God of love? Anyone saw that? Yeah, the rest of you, either you're not on Facebook or you need to be my friend. (laughs) And the guy answered powerfully. I'm not going to go into it. But here's the point. These two ladies had experienced a major crisis. Their, Their elder brother, I'm assuming, he was the oldest, had died. And the one who could have saved him never turned up. Now, when you look at what happened was, when the Lord first, when they heard Jesus was coming, Martha went to meet him. This is what I like about Martha. Ever willing to serve. She went to meet him. She was disappointed. So when she met him, she couldn't hold it down. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And that was, why did you delay? She was disappointed. But she still welcomed him. Mary, on the other hand, if you read it, she sat at home. She was so disappointed, she didn't care that Jesus was coming. And that's how we are. At times, even though we're pursuing the Lord, in our moments of crisis, that's when we are tested. In our moment of crisis, the Lord says, now I want, I'm coming. You say, I'm not interested. Now, let me tell you something. When I studied this, I was surprised about what I learned. Because what's the, well, this is what then happened. After Mary and Martha meets the Lord and she says what she says, the Lord says to her, your brother will live again. In other words, he saw her pain and he assured her. And then Martha, unsure, said, I know he'll live again on the resurrection. He said, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me will never die. And he that does not believe in me, he that believes in me, I've forgotten how he said it, but he said it there anyway. <laughs> so, then, so then she says, I believe that you are the son of God, da, 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 da. And then she quickly, secretly, the Bible says, goes and says to her sister, the master has come and he's asking for you. So when she heard he was asking for her, he ran to meet her. And then when he meets her, she's crying, falls at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now Jesus' response is interesting. The scripture says, when he saw her weeping, when she said this, he groaned in his spirit and he was troubled. Now, what most people miss is they think that his groaning was some kind of her faith. He responded, no, he was upset. Go and look at the Greek word. That word groaning is he was angry. He was angry and he was troubled because she was an ardent pursuant of him. And they were his friends. And you see, he assured Martha, don't worry, your brother is okay, he's going to live. But when he saw how Mary was, it hurt him. So he asked her, where is he? Show me, where have you put him? Because he, he, he had come all along to raise him up. The issue of him being dead wasn't the issue for him. Be- what he was looking for is, are you still willing to trust me? 
Are you still willing to trust me? And here's the point. The falling at his feet represents this. Are you willing to surrender to him and trust him in your crisis time and in your pain? Are you willing to still pursue him when everything is lost as far as you're concerned? And last but not least, we don't have time, so we'll not go any further, is Mary of Bethany anointed the feet of Jesus with a very expensive, now this was at the end of his ministry, a very expensive offering. Now, this represents our willing to pursue the Lord with that which is most precious to us our life, our wealth, our resources. You see, now this ain't an offering time. We ain't taking an offering out of this one. So let's just be clear. You see, what I'm trying to point out is this. If you want to follow hard after the Lord, number one, you have to be willing to give him your life, regardless of whether, where you're at. Secondly, you have to be willing to follow him even when you're finding it hard to trust him. And thirdly, you have to be willing to follow him with all your resource and all your strength. And this is the lessons we learn from these two ladies about following hard after the Lord. I want us to pray.